Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me he comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Happy New Year and uh, welcome to our service this morning. Um, I know that the uh, New Year is a time for uh, time for uh, some of you or many of you perhaps uh, to make New Year's resolutions. And so I want to uh, invite you uh, to join in our uh, New Testament reading, uh, some of you know, or I hope most of you remember, uh, every year since uh, 2015, we've been reading through the New Testament together. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament, and if you read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, you can have the weekends off, you'll get through the New Testament every year. And so we've been reading a different translation every year uh, for, for many, many years. And so if you have not done this as a part of your uh, daily habits, uh, I would invite you to do so and join us. Uh, this year, uh, we're going to read the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 Revised Edition. So I have not read this one, so I picked this one because I want to read it. And so uh, I hope you will uh, join us. And then after you, if you sign up on this, uh, I don't know how this works, but if you, if you have your phones, I think you take a picture or something, right? Um, if you don't have your phone, like me, because I forgot to bring it with me this morning, uh, where's Jason? Is Jason here? Oh, Jason's in the back, so if you see Jason, uh, just let him know, and uh, he can make sure that you get on the list. So if you sign up here, you'll get, it, you'll get the chapter every day, Monday through Friday, uh, in your email, and so you can start off the day just, just read. It takes just a couple of minutes, uh, and you can get through the whole New Testament, and uh, yeah, I, I hope that you'll make that a part of your um, 
routines, right? I know many of you do uh, Duolingo every day or you do Wordle every day, you play Candy Crush every day, I don't know, like, this is a much better habit for you to uh, have for the New Year, so I wanna encourage you to do that. Uh, the other thing I wanna alert you before uh, the sermon today is, I want you to know that beginning today, uh, we're going to, uh, we've made a slight change to our liturgy during the time of offering. Um, as you know, the patterns of people giving uh, have changed quite dramatically uh, over the past uh, decade or so. Um, as a kid, I can remember uh, my parents, whenever we would go to church, they would prepare multiple envelopes to give as an offering. They would have their weekly tithing envelope where they would put in uh, a check or cash, and then they would have like a pink colored envelope for the mission offering that they would do maybe, I don't know, every several weeks or a month. And then they might have another you know, blue envelope where they would do a Thanksgiving offering because maybe you know, one of their kids was sick and got well or it was a birthday. So they would come every Sunday with multiple envelopes prepared uh, to give as an offering. It was a weekly, and they knew it was a part of the worship service to give an offering uh, every Sunday. And of course, they would give, uh, my sisters and I, they would give us a quarter in the beginning and then a dollar, you'd give an offering too. Um, but I realize now, of course, uh, many of you, uh, in fact, most of you, you do not bring an offering every week. And it's just a change in pattern. Some of you give, uh, I think some of you give maybe every two weeks, <laughs> maybe not, I don't know, once a month. Uh, I know some of you give once a year because uh, you don't know what your income's gonna be for the year because uh, I guess it's based on bonuses and things like that. So you wanna wait and you wanna tie that. And so you're being very conscientious about that. And so you wait. I know others of you, you wait to the end of the year because uh, your company uh, matches through a Benevity or some other program. And so you wanna maximize that uh, giving. Uh, so you wait to the end of the year. So for a variety of reasons, and some of you of course just give online. And so I know that the offering time is no longer a realistically speaking, a time of giving an offering because so few of us actually do it on a weekly basis. And so we wanna change the time just, just a little bit um, so that the offering time doesn't feel like, you know, as if we're just sort of killing time or it's just kind of like, let's just sing another song or, or something like that. So um, we wanna remind you that it is a time, it is an offering time, and the, the giving of you know, tithes and offerings and monies and all of that, um, that is a symbol, really, right? I mean, it is, it's an offering of thanksgiving, but it's also a symbol of giving of our whole selves to God. So, so in worship, in offering, we're giving ourselves to God. And so we want to try to find a way to try to make it a little more uh, a, a reminder of that and, and to be able to do it that way. So during the offering time, uh, I would invite you to take that moment um, to pray and, and to offer up yourself once more uh, as a living sacrifice, right? And so instead of uh, singing a praise song together, which again is fine, but during that time we're going to ask the praise team to just lead us in a very brief instrumental uh, music uh, while you can uh, offer up yourselves uh, in prayer. After which uh, I would invite all of us to stand and we will sing the doxology together as a way of uh, bringing another kind of offering to God. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna do that and, and hopefully that will uh, make our worship uh, more meaningful. All right, uh, please pray with me then. Lord, thank you for this new year. Thank you for this past year. Uh, thank you that we can gather in this space once more and uh, as we heard the beginning of the gospel, we can begin once more. Help us to hear your word and in the hearing of your word, 
to find our joy and our delight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who might be new uh, to our service uh, today, I want you to know that we have been reading and working our way through the narrative lectionary, year two of the narrative lectionary. And so beginning today and for the next uh, three months or so, we will be in the gospel of Mark. And as you just heard in the scripture reading, instead of starting off in, a, uh, in an orderly sort of way, as does the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke with the birth story of Jesus, the gospel of Mark opens rather abruptly with an incomplete sentence. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Mark goes on to quote some uh, prophetic words, supposedly from the prophet Isaiah, but that's not entirely correct. Some of the words are from Isaiah, but Mark also mixes and includes words from the book of Exodus, as well as from the prophet Malachi. No verb in the opening sentence, improper citations. It doesn't seem like a promising start. One of my uh, children, or one of my young adults, uh, works in publishing. And a part of her job is, one, one part of her job is copy editing. And so she tells me that she's currently working on a book about how to write well. And this book, she says rather charitably, is not written great. Now, I might be too naive here, but it both baffles me and it bothers me that someone has the gall to write a book about writing well who doesn't know how to write. I mean, it's, I, I can understand if this is not a professional writer, say a, a professional athlete writing about, you know, his glory days in football or something, and he or she makes some grammatical errors, maybe even many of them. I, I, I get that. But this is someone, a writer, who's writing a book about writing well, and it requires 15 to 20 edits per page. I mean, that just seems a bit too much for me. Whatever the title of the book may be, I want to suggest that it be changed to the copy editor, how to write well without writing well. Now for some, the Gospel of Mark looks like a similarly sloppy piece of writing, a rough draft, a first draft in great need of proofreading. Over the centuries, it's been suggested circumstances, perhaps persecution, or even death prevented Mark from completing a polished product. Others have suggested that maybe it was finished, but somehow the, the first page and the last page somehow got lost over the centuries, and that's why we have what we have. And still others wonder that maybe, you know, he meant it just as kind of an introductory, like almost like a title, and it's not really a proper first sentence. Or, I want to propose, that maybe this is exactly what Mark meant to write. Most of you know um, that I studied Russian when I was in college. Um, 
I've forgotten almost everything I learned, and, and my, my family will confirm that for you if you, if you doubt me. Um, but I have a few like snippets of memories from my time in college. And, and one of those is a conversation I had with my thesis advisor, um, which is that he warned me, he warned me to be, uh, in, in terms of uh, translating um, Dostoevsky, so he, he warned me that in translating to be very careful because he says that some translators, some English translators uh, of Dostoevsky's great novel, Crime and Punishment, would correct some of his, what they considered his obvious grammatical mistakes. Now, my prof he agreed. Dostoevsky makes clear, obvious grammatical mistakes in some of his writing in Crime and Punishment. But he went on to say, but those were intentional. He says what these translators often, what they don't realize is that Dostoevsky was experimenting with an amateur narrator. And he was creating a narrator that was not entirely reliable. That's what he wanted the readers to, to, to understand, that the things that he was telling us maybe not quite right. And he did that by intentionally making these kinds of mistakes. I mean, that, that's part of his genius, right? And so I want to suggest that we start this morning as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, that we begin with this position perhaps of, of humility and give Mark the benefit of the doubt. And then to explore, maybe there is some literary or perhaps theological rationale as to why he might begin the gospel with an incomplete sentence. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As you know, the beginning, that is a loaded biblical word. The beginning. It immediately draws us back to the story of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis, we know that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, creating order out of chaos, light out of darkness, and so on. And here now, he paints for us this picture, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the Jordan River and in Jesus. The beginning here is suggestive of the beginning. Then in quick succession, Jesus is baptized, he's driven into the wilderness and tested, and he preaches his first sermon in just a few short verses. And here, Mark is like a 19th century impressionist painter, splattering scene after scene with shadows of the beginning. One of Mark's favorite words in the gospel is the word immediately, which he uses more than 40 times. He doesn't linger with details. And he likes us to just keep moving ahead in the story. He's not trying to be precise. He's not trying to be thorough and complete. Instead, he draws enough of a sketch to leave us with an impression. Enough for us to recall that, oh, wild animals, they were with Adam in the beginning of creation in the garden. The River Jordan, that was the site of the crossing into the promised land. It's also where Elijah was taken up in the chariots of fire by that river just like John the baptizer is reminiscent of this Elijah. And that the word of blessing of my beloved son reminds us of Isaac, the son of promise, and of the sacrifice that Abraham thought he had to make. Mark lets us know that the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is a beginning, it's new. It's new. The story of Jesus, the entire genre of gospel, it's new. 
but it's also continuous with the earlier beginnings of creation and the beginnings of the covenant with Abraham and David and Moses and Noah and the beginnings of the exodus and return into the promised land. I think this is what the incomplete sentence suggests. It is a beginning, but it is inseparable from the earlier beginnings, the earlier story of before. It's a beginning, but it's not, it's, it's not an entirely new beginning out of nothing. And in fact, it's a beginning that is only possible because it is a fulfillment of the promise and the earlier promises of beginnings and covenants. It's kind of like, um, like when you begin high school or you start a new job or you get married. Those are, those are beginnings. But those are not beginnings out of nothing. They're not disconnected from your past. Those beginnings are only possible because they flow out of your previous life, right? All the things that happened before, all the events, it leads to those moments. And so likewise, the story of Jesus here, it's rooted in the story of what God has been doing from the very beginning. It's new, but it's intimately connected to all that has been going on before. So this, this incomplete sentence connects us to the past, this beginning. And at the same time, it opens up for us a future. Jesus certainly understood it this way, I think. His first words are, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The time is fulfilled, meaning it is the culmination or even the end. The beginning, right? It's the beginning, but it's also the fulfillment. It's the end. Or perhaps we can say it's the beginning of the end. And that's why it's good news, right? What everyone has been waiting for is finally here. It's finally here. It's like the start of the last chapter of your favorite book. It's like episode 16 of your favorite K-drama. It's coming to a close. The already and the not yet. This is why Jesus will say in the last book, in the last chapter, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first letter and the last. Most of you are aware that there are two words for time in Greek. There is the word chronos, meaning regular, sequential, ordinary time, uh, like the chronology. But the word that Jesus uses here is the, a different word, kairos. And this word means it's, it's an opportune moment, a special time, a fulfilled moment, right? Tuesday lunch in the school cafeteria, that's chronos. Your first dinner date with your future spouse, that's kairos, a special moment. And Jesus is announcing here the kairos, this, this particular special moment of the inbreaking of God's kingdom in his life and in the world. This now is at hand. And it begins, notice it, it begins with his baptism. In baptism, Jesus discovers that he is the beloved child of God. And likewise, when we submit ourselves to baptism, we also come to receive this blessing and understand that we too are the children, the beloved children of God. I don't know if you know this, but in the back, if you see, uh, you see those, um, I guess it's copper, those wavy things that are kind of going up in, in the middle there. 
I don't know if you were this, but uh, when the building first opened, that is or was a fountain and water would be running. So that was supposed to symbolize the waters of baptism and those things that, are, that was supposed to represent the Holy Spirit. So that's, that was the, uh, uh, I think there's some structural issues and so they haven't had the, the water running for a while. Um, theologically speaking, that is a great theological decision. Um, to have baptism, I would have probably put it right inside the building. To have it, because we all enter, we all enter through the waters of baptism. So I love visiting churches where they have like a large baptismal font with water, you know, that I can kind of like dip my fingers in as I, as I walk into the chapel. Because it's a reminder that we're, we're all here by grace. We're all here by grace through the waters of baptism. There's no other way. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the good news. And notice that Jesus' first words here are not repent. It is not repent, a word that most of us don't like. But it's a declaration that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And the order here is absolutely crucial. With God, it's always this way. You've heard said before that grammatically and theologically with God, it is always the indicative before the imperative. That what God does or what God has done always comes before any sort of command or demand on our part. Even in, you know, the commandment, the Ten Commandments, even before God says, you shall have no other gods before me, that command is preceded by, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Before a word of the call to repentance and belief, there is this statement. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. And so now, knowing that, knowing what God has done, knowing that all of time has now been brought to this moment of fulfillment, now he calls us to respond to that beginning with repentance and believing. Um, I, I, I hate to throw a little more grammar at you now, but the words here, to repent and to believe, are both in the active, present, plural imperative. Crudely put, crudely put, it's something like this. The crude sense of what Jesus is saying here is, you all keep on repenting and you all keep on believing together. That's the sense of what Jesus is saying here. Keep on doing this and you do this together. Now, certainly, we are called to individually to repent and to believe, but the plural here calls for a commitment in community because the Christian life is always in community, is always in community because sins as well as blessings always have consequences for those around us. And the call is given here in the, in the present active, meaning that this is not some occasional one-time event Right? Oh, I repented 20 years ago. That's enough. No, it's ongoing. It's, a, it's an ongoing behavior. We are to keep on repenting and to keep on believing. It's not an isolated activity. It's fundamentally our identities. 
It's less about what we do once in a while, but more about who we are as a people. It's a way of community living. John Calvin said that we must strive toward repentance and devote ourselves to it throughout life, throughout life, and pursue it to the very end if we would abide in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ, that, that we pursue this way of life every day throughout our lives. Most of you um, have probably heard um, in recent days about the criticism facing uh, Congressman-elect George Santos. Uh, it's been reported that virtually everything he said, that everything he claimed on the campaign trail about his life, including his education, his family background, his religion, his marriage, his job experience, was outright fabrication. When the evidence against his uh, claims uh, could no longer be ignored, uh, he was forced to make uh, a statement and to go on interviews and things like that. And among his interviews, among the things that he said was this. My sins here are embellishing my resume. I'm sorry. And in regard to his, uh, the, the false uh, work experience assertions, he said they were, quote, a poor choice of words. My sins here are embellishing my resume and the use of a poor choice of words, and I'm sorry. Now, if you write down and tell someone you're six feet tall, but you're really 5'11", that's embellishment, right? If your mother makes you clam linguine and you say, that is not my favorite pasta, that is a poor choice of words. <laughs> but when you have never attended the college you claim to have graduated from, when you have never worked for a company that you claim that you work for, that is not embellishment. That is not a poor choice of words. We used to call that a lie. <laughs> but, but, I don't want to pick on I think we're all guilty of this. Let's suppose, let's suppose, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, and let's suppose that he's being sincere and that he is genuinely sorry for what he did. My sins here are embellishing my resume. I'm sorry. Let's take that at face value. Right? I think, that's, I think most people think that that's what repentance is, right? It's you, you say sorry for some bad thing that you did. That's repentance. Right? It's, it's what we... It's what we tell our children when we raise them, right? We want our kids, when they do something wrong, to realize, oh, this is wrong, and then to feel bad about it, and then to say sorry as an expression of that, you know, guilt or, or you know, recognition. That, that's what we're pushing toward, right? We, that's how we generally think of what repentance is. Now, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. It's a good start. But the repentance that Jesus is calling us to here, it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger and so much better. Right? If repentance just means you feel bad about something bad you did, that's terrible. Right? Because you just feel worse. I did something bad. I'm terrible. I feel bad. Oh, now I feel worse. But let me remind you that the basic meaning behind this word repentance is to turn, 
or to return. To return. I would even loosely paraphrase this, that this is a call uh, to, to repent. I think of it as an invitation to come home. It's to return, to come home. Let's be clear that repentance is not a work which we do to make ourselves more favorable to God. It's a response that emerges from us having recognized the mercy and goodness of God, which comes first. It comes first. We repent so that we may receive the forgiveness that has already been offered. We love because he loved first. And so you can see here that the good news, the good news is embedded in this call to repentance. But in case we don't know that, notice here that the call to repent is coupled with this word to believe in the gospel. We are, the call is to repent and believe. They're not separate. We are to repent and believe at the same time because in many ways it's the same thing. Now, Jesus is going to tell us more about what the good news is exactly in, uh, later, but for now, we can say it's something good at least, right? It's good news. This, this is going to be our hope and our confidence that in repentance and in believing, there is good. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but whenever a member of our congregation reads the scriptures every Sunday morning, they end with the words, the word of the Lord. Now, I know over the years, some of our readers have said, this is the word of the Lord. That's, that's not wrong. <laughs> but they're supposed to say, the word of the Lord, an incomplete sentence. The scriptures are, of course, the word, uh, the word of the Lord. But the word of the Lord is not merely information or trivia that is being passed along. It is not restricted. The word of the Lord is not restricted to the written or the read word. This is the word of the Lord. It kind of implies that this is it. There's no more. But revelation, revelation for us is always in the context of relationship. Always. In fact, in our tradition, we have a threefold understanding of the word of God. The word of God incarnate in Jesus Christ, the word of God written as in the scriptures, and the word of God as it is proclaimed in worship. And so in worship, we strive to proclaim the written word so that the word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, might be encountered in that proclamation. The word of God must be more than the written word or even the proclaimed word. The word of the Lord is both declaration and exhortation to encounter the living word, the word of the Lord. And so as we gather now at this beginning of a new year, we are invited once more to begin again, to answer the call once more the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this incomplete sentence which begins it all tells us that the story of the gospel is not finished. It's just getting started. And we, 
Each of us, we have a part to play in this ongoing story. The verb is missing. And Mark is inviting us, he's challenging us to supply that verb. How will you respond to the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ? If you have been lost, if you have been lazy, if you have been distracted, if you have misprioritized your loves for years, Jesus is calling you back to return home on the way that he himself has prepared because he himself is the way. You are his beloved child. That hasn't changed. The time is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The kingdom is near. God has torn open the heavens to make possible this new beginning and invites us home. Repent, return, and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word for us. Help us today and every day to repent, to believe together, to know that this indeed is good news. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.